Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Celebrating 35 years of creativity and collaboration, the Vail Dance Festival returns July 28th through August 7th with 12 thrilling performances and numerous special events, including live podcast recordings of conversations on dance all across the beautiful Vail Valley. Don't miss the legendary Martha Graham Dance Company, LA Dance Project, Music from the Soul, Ballet X, Dance Aspen, and an all-star cast of festival artists from New York City Ballet, American Ballet Theater, the Royal Danish Ballet, Boston Ballet, and many more. Tickets for our live podcast recordings are now available at veildance.org slash conversations dash on dash dance, or click the link in the show notes. Tickets for festival performances are also available now at veildance.org. See you this summer. I'm Rebecca King Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today we are joined by Dan Watt, director of the documentary Everybody Dance. After his career as a dancer and choreographer, Dan ventured towards a career in film and television, working with stars like B. Arthur, Carol Channing, and Simon Cowell, as well as working at Columbia Pictures in film development for years. Dan tells us about his beginnings in dance, how he decided that he had stories he wanted to tell through film, and how he connected with the Ballet for All Kids dance studio in California that became the centerpiece of his documentary. In Everybody Dance, Dan follows five children with different disabilities, their families and dance teacher for 10 months on their journey through life and toward their recital. As part of Disability Pride Month this July, Everybody Dance is available now on Amazon Freebie. Click the link in the show notes to watch now. Dan, thanks so much for joining us bright and early this morning. We are so excited to talk to you about your film, Everybody Dance. But before we get into that, we want to hear a little bit about your own background as a dancer. Yeah, I started out as a dancer um, at around 15 um, back in Ohio. I auditioned for the Spring Fling, the talent show at the high school. <laughs> and the teacher said, you know, you have like this natural rhythm. You should take dance if you're interested in theater. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and she introduced me to one of the best teachers around, Dee Hillier, who actually came from New York and was a student of the masters. You know, she actually studied from uh, Luigi and Jack Cole and Phil Black and all those people. So I was getting firsthand knowledge of all the the different styles and techniques um, that she learned, and she just brought them all to us. So that's how it all started. Mm -hmm. But it was interesting as I developed, created this movie, people were asking me questions like you just asked. And I thought, but why did I have this rhythm, you know, or, you know, if I had never studied dance before and I remembered when we were, when I was younger, my mom and dad took ballroom dancing and they used to take me to the studio 
and perfect name for a ballroom studio of the Harvey Kerr Dance Studio. <sighs> it had burned down, but we had just moved into our new house. So my parents let him teach classes in our basement because we had the poles in the center so you could dance around. <laughs> and if someone's right. partner didn't show up, they'd bang on the ceiling with the broom and I'd have to go downstairs and I was either sometimes the lead and sometimes the follow. So it all depended on who didn't show up. And I thought, oh my God, <laughs> I was exposed to this in, in fourth grade. And I'm like, okay, dancing with Mrs. Ziegler because her husband didn't show up, you know? So <laughs> interesting when you put the pieces together, you know, how you realize how you ended up where you did because of what you were exposed to. Right. Did you ever have an interest in like, where did you see dance taking you in your life? What was the next steps for you? I always wanted to be on Broadway. And then mm. again, speaking of D, she would take um, her, some students up every summer. She would take 10 or 12 and say, you know, this is the real world. This is mm -hmm. that person you're standing next to in class they're going to be at the audition. Can you beat him or her? So I had a, a rude awakening because I never thought I needed to sing. And there was that shift in Broadway where they no longer wanted dancers. You know, if when you see 42nd Street, right. which was my first musical on Broadway, and then all of a sudden there, you needed to be the triple threat. They weren't casting mm -hmm. 50 people in a show. Um, I had to change my focus. Uh, on mm. that because I knew, you know, I, I have three notes that I can sing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so that's when I actually made the shift after I, I, I took it seriously and I decided that I wouldn't be able to do that. Um, and I moved to California. That was at the Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson era. Mm. So I came out here to be in videos when MTV, you know, when, you know, you could dance behind Cindy Lauper and, and all those mm -hmm. people and Pat Benatar and all that kind of stuff. So I made the transition because I knew I couldn't sing and be on Broadway. Oh. Right. So what were some of those early years like for you out in California? Well, uh, again, it was interesting because I would go to auditions and some with, I remember two of them. One was with Michael Jackson and one was for Janet Jackson. And they didn't even watch me dance. And after you wait there for eight hours, because you're, you know, you get there at 6 a.m. to get in line and there's already 4,000 people ahead of you. Uh, and they didn't, when they didn't watch me dance, I thought I need to find out why, you know, what I, I, I got to the point where I could do a clean triple on both legs without a, any hesitation. And I was like, but I can do that. Mm -hmm. So I waited one night after the Janet Jackson one. And I said, you know, this is the second time I've come here and I've never been seen to dance. And they, the one producer or choreographer, whoever it was that I talked to in the parking lot said, I'll be honest with you. It's your look. You're too masculine. Your forehead and your chin were looking for that androgynous, asexual look. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we didn't want to waste your time. And I'm like, well, it's 12 hours later. You can <laughs> Right. It's a lot. <laughs> I mean, you know, mm -hmm. let me do it. But I was so glad that someone finally told me the truth. Um, mm -hmm. Because, you, you know, when you study so hard and I said, but I can do a triple and I can do four on my left leg. And she touched my shoulder and she said, honey, we can do that in editing. And I was like, <laughs> oh, 
So then that blows up your brain because you're like, I worked so hard in their lives. I'm sorry, like, what? <laughs> you know, wow. uh, so then I had to make the shift and I went to dance companies. Mm-hmm. So I was at the touring company of Honor Toes and I was so lucky to also be dance with the Joffrey Ballet out here in uh, at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion for eight years when they did Romeo and Juliet Petrushka, whenever they did the huge productions, they found it was cheaper for them to hire us out here than to ship their junior company and pay for hotel mm. and salary. So right. they, two of my teachers were with the Joffrey and had retired. So I had his style and technique down. So when I auditioned, it was, you know, I don't want to say easy because it's not ballet. It's not easy. But I think I had a leg up because I knew arm placement and stuff like that the way he wanted to do it. And, you know, to be to be on the the stage in front of 8,000 people as a townsperson skipping around and dancing in Romeo and Juliet with that company was amazing. Mm-hmm. I want to rewind just for a second of you saying like you were glad to hear someone tell you that your look wasn't right. I think that people in position of power might not want to, sh- I must be so hard to say something like that to someone, but I think that dancers hearing the truth, that's so important. Cause then you change, you're like, okay, then this isn't for me. I'm going to go find something else. How it, c- it could have been very easy for you to kind of give up on dance. I just wonder like what your thought process was during that. Cause that is a negative thing to hear on something you can't change. Yeah, it was. Well, it, I think the reason she said it is I, I think she was exhausted. <laughs> and it so she just, just let it go. <laughs> it just came out like, let's get him away from me. Um, but again, I, I'm so glad that she did because like you said, uh, I think that when I was, when I taught, I, I wanted to make sure, you know, you don't want to discourage, but we have to also be honest you know, and we also have to be honest as artists when we perform. So I think it all goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So I I took it as a blessing, and I was not, I wasn't discouraged. Um, well, I shouldn't say that I probably was probably for that night, sure, but then yeah. I, I refocused. But then I also did. Then I just shifted my audition process. I got to be in a commercial for Universal Studios, you know, when Klingons and I don't, I mean, I remember them dancing behind me, but then you have to adjust your focus on, okay, I'm going to be the townsman. I'm going to be the dad. I'm going to be, you know, I'm not Mm -hmm. going to physically, my look didn't fit into what Janet Jackson was looking for. So why waste my time on that? And I just focused and looked for things where it would work. But I think also that's just one person's opinion, which is a great lesson to learn too. Like that was just for that one instance, it didn't, but then you were able to then find people that were looking for you, you know? So I just, I think that's a nice um, lesson to, to discuss. Right. And exactly like you said, it, it's, it was one person's opinion. You don't think of it that way then, but the reality is, when you audition for anything, uh, you know, because I worked in film and television later, is that they want you to succeed. And and, and that's it it's interesting because we don't hear that enough. They don't they want to go home. They don't want to stay for 12 <laughs> hours auditioning. So if they see you and they're like, 
Rebecca's perfect hire. We're done for the day. Mm-hmm. It, sure. it makes everybody's life easier. So if you can keep that in mind, that they want they want you to succeed, mm-hmm. that also helps. But that didn't that didn't come for a couple years later. <laughs> at, at what point are you starting to branch out into other aspects of? I guess the arts, but, you know, particularly film. When did you get involved in things that were not strictly dance related? Well, before I did film, I'll go back one step before that. That leads to it. What When I was in On Our Toes, they, I was the, they made me the dance captain. So I would help with lighting and cues and music and all that stuff. And when I was on stage in one show number, they brought up green lights and they should have been blue and i was performing and i'm like oh he is in the wrong cue and i couldn't get it out of my head and i realized then i had crossed over mm-hmm. i am now i i can no longer enjoy performing because i can't let go of the other side <laughs> which again after nine years is a progression and i also loved being in charge so (laughs) (laughs) so i then started producing and choreographing musicals and stage and then after i did that i always wanted to work in film and television i well i wanted to be a dancer on the carol burnett show but how dare she retire um (laughs) But I gave that so much much thought that I was going to be the third dancer from the left. I honest, and I was like in fourth grade, you know. And I'm like, no, I height wise, I'll fit right there between those two. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just took the leap and did it. I thought, well, do I just redo the 56 shows that I've done? Do I start from A and go all over again? Well, that's boring. I'm an artist. Let's create. Let's try something new. Mm-hmm. So then I shifted, and Columbia Pictures hired me. And then from there, Simon Cowell hired me. So let's talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) We have to hear about that. Tell us how that opportunity came about. Well, I, I, I loved producing and I loved that aspect of it. And I was very good at being organized and doing, being able to multitask. And I think dancers are trained that I I think it's the Mm -hmm, best. Absolutely training i think everyone should study dance because you can you can multitask where the bottom of the totem pole they change their mind 30 seconds before you go on stage and they go oh by the way start on your right foot instead of your left and you're like i'm sorry what (laughs) and then the music goes on and you just do it well you know i applied for a job at uh columbia pictures and they well i applied at a job for first the dr phil show and they didn't mm-hmm. take me. But the woman who was interviewing me, now I was in my 30s, late 30s, and she was 12, you know, probably like 20, 21. <laughs> and she couldn't uh. figure out, she said, well, you have no TV credits. Well, how can, and I said, so you don't think I can get a couple, a mom and a dad fighting from Kansas to LA. Well, I brought in the Peking acrobats, their teachers and the kids and handled all that paperwork, but you don't think I can get a couple from Kansas, but it went back to that Janet Jackson thing. And I thought, okay, this is not for me. And she doesn't know what she's talking about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And then I went to Columbia Pictures and that executive said, are you sure you want to work here? Because you're so, your resume is huge in regard to producing. We have no question that you cannot do this. You are fit for this, but you're going to be low man on the totem pole and you're going to have to work for six months as somebody's assistant to learn the way we do it. Are you willing to do that? And I said, yes. So I then had to technically start over again, but with the end goal in mind, and then you just work your way up. So being able to realize you're walking in at a lower level and that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm the one Xeroxing the scripts, but you know, I'm the one that has to send the script to Angelina Jolie for the movie salt. Oh my gosh. You know, I mean, <laughs> if you insist, I'll <laughs> drive it over. But if that, I mean, you know, but <laughs> you, know, cool. you know, so it's, it's being able to be flexible in regards to what's in front of you. And I've always believed that every job or opportunity, every opportunity leads to the next one and then the next one and the next one. And I've just lived my life that way and just mm -hmm. followed wherever it went. Yeah. Right. So what were some of the first opportunities that you got then where you felt like you were making some uh, inroads to the, like the end game, the end goals of like being able to direct something, being able to, um, get projects off the ground that you are heading and are really invested in? Well, after I worked for at Columbia Pictures for five years, Simon Cowell, I worked for him and I went over, he decided to do a script, do things besides competition television. And he wanted to do a scripted right. department. So I went over there and we actually, the first thing we did was the One Direction documentary. So to follow them for 10, 11 months, uh, mm. whatever, however long that was. But I worked with Morgan Spurlock, who was the director. And him and I became good friends and are still are to this day. And he was my inspiration. He was the one who just showed me the ropes, I guess I should say, just mm -hmm. by sitting back and watching and observing. And the same thing with Simon. I mean, Simon... Simon took, we'd have meetings once a week at his house or twice a week, depending on what we were doing. And he would listen to everybody. And he wanted me to make sure the interns came over to the Thursday meeting. What were their ideas? Because you never know where the next good idea comes from. And if someone presented something that he liked, they then were promoted and put on that project. So to see people of that level working that way, um, and him telling the story that for um, American Idol, he had pitched it 11 times and nobody wanted it. And the last day he was in L.A., he went back to Fox and he went back to the head of Fox and he said, are you sure? I, and his, the head of Fox's wife was in there and she said, are you pitching that pop star show over in the U.K.? And he said, well, yes, I want to bring it to America. And she turned to her husband and said, you need to buy this show. Because she had been there a couple of weeks ago in the UK and saw it. And, and she said to her husband, I promise you it'll be a hit here. But that's the, the point is that he, even him being a big sound, a mogul in music, 
pitched the idea 11 times before somebody picked it up. And look, American Idol is still around, you know? So when you see, when, when you're open to accepting things like that and hearing those stories and listening, I think it leads you to the next thing. Yeah. And Morgan, when I told him I wanted to do a documentary, he said, then do it. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? And he's like, well, then, then why aren't you doing it? And I was like, oh, why aren't I doing it? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. So, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So when you, when you're, you know, obviously you, you worked on, on the One Direction documentary, you're working with Morgan Spurlock, you um, are being exposed to a lot of um, things in that arena. But did you already have an idea in particular about what sort of documentary filmmaking you were in, interested in? Because obviously with your experience in dance, it could have been, even if you're honed in on dance, that's still quite broad. How did you know what the subject matter for your documentary film was going to be? Well, I knew I wanted, I was always fascinated by, I always wondered what, what, if you studied dance when you were younger, but didn't become a dancer, if you studied violin, it, anybody who studied any art form and didn't make it a profession, how did those uh, influence your life? Did you learn any lessons while studying that art form that you could apply in your everyday life? So I knew it would needed to be something like that, but I didn't have my way in. But that was my ultimate goal was how do the arts transfer into your everyday life. And then I had a dream of Fran and her two daughters from going back 15, 17 years when I taught. And both both of her daughters had autism. And I didn't think anything of it. I talked to Fran and I said, you know, I don't know much about this. Do I need to do anything different? I just want to teach my dance and they said no mm -hmm. teach your let your class the way they are we want them in there to learn coordination to learn dedication to you know work on repetitiveness and things like that and she said we know they won't move up to jazz two as quickly as everybody else so we know that and we've had that conversation so i did not change the way i taught i taught mm -hmm. the same way the same warm-up and just any good teacher, it's my job to teach, to try to get the message across to you. So, you know, you say left, right, left. You say one, two, three. You say backside, side. You know, you you come up. I always presented every step I taught in three to four different ways because you never know what's going to click with someone. Mm -hmm. So, but then I had this dream and I thought, well, why am I dreaming of Fran? You know, I, I don't understand this. And I blew it off. Well, then I had the dream like two weeks later. And it was so clear. And I thought, this is God poking me. He's going, I am handing you your movie. 
make here is your movie. <laughs> Can I make it any clearer? And I thought I I can't not look into that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why else would I dream about them? Why else would they come 17 years later to the forefront of my brain? So then I just started investigating from there. What were some of the first steps for you? Because you also, you highlight dancers and families in this film. How did you find them? Like, what was the next part of the process for you? I started, because I still wasn't sure what was going to be dance conservatory. So I just started searching on the internet and I started interviewing and talking to people all across the country Mm -hmm. in Florida and and Texas and Utah and Ohio. and, And then I found Bonnie and her studio ballet for all kids. And I went up and I met for her because she lived in California. And I never even thought to look in California. Why would I do that? <laughs> I'm a filmmaker, I need to be in Kansas. I need to go to Texas. <laughs> um, you know, and after I met her, I thought, this is it. This woman is an angel. Mm-hmm. And what she does, these stories needed to be told. And she said, come and watch me teach. And then we'll talk again. And I did that. And I thought, yeah, th- this is it. And then we, she talked to the parents and, we, you know, discussed it with them and, you know, and how much long I'd be there and are they okay with it. And when we all got on the same page, I went for it. And we were lucky enough, as you've seen in the movie, I started filming the week before she made the announcement that she was going to do a recital. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is the opening of the movie. And then we can end with the actual recital. So we get to see the right. 10 month journey, mm-hmm. the kids right. and the family on, you know, the whole thing. So again, right. I'm very, very lucky that that just happened to fall into place there too. Right. It was such a perfect natural arc for sure. Um, cinematically. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about Ballet for All Kids, just for anyone who has not yet seen Everybody Dance, so that we can hear a little bit more about what this incredible organization does and what what Bonnie's put together? Yeah, well, it, it it's simple. And again, it didn't click in me till after I started editing it. It's in the title. It's in the name of her studio, Ballet for All Kids. And she welcomes anyone. Mm-hmm. And they can they can be typical like you and me. They can be neurodivergent. They can have autism, Down syndrome. They can be in a wheelchair. It doesn't matter. Her doors are open to anyone who wants to study ballet. And what one of the reasons I wanted to go with her or the one of the things that made me say this is it was, first of all, her her method of teaching, but also that she taught a full ballet class. She taught you know, it's a 55 minute class and it's just what you and I would take. Mm-hmm. She didn't teach like some of the other people I interviewed a 10 minute class. And then it turned into like romper room and it was just kids right. running around mm-hmm. with balls, mm-hmm. um, which right. is, is okay for certain kids and certain methods, mm-hmm. but it wasn't my objective. I went up for six Six days, I think, before we started filming, mm-hmm. just so the kids would get used to me because I mm-hmm. I wanted to be a fly on the wall. And I think because I was a dance teacher and I had also done recitals and shows, I didn't want to interfere in what the kids were learning. The parents were paying for these dance classes. I can't have 
cameras and lights everywhere because then it's not a dance class. Then it turns into a movie production with kids, right? Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. So, and I learned the first the first day. Uh, of course, I went in there with my sound guy and three cameras and tripods, and and these kids were you know, the, the boom mic coming down and they're like, look at the pretty caterpillar and trying to, touch and, and, and that had nothing to do with them, you know, uh, being typical or atypical. Those were just kids. Right. Yeah. Fascinated. And then the tripods, they were like, how can we crawl in between them? And it was, <laughs> I thought, oh, this is not going to work. So right. like seven minutes into it, I grabbed my crew and hauled them all out. And I had, but again, I had to be open. And I think this goes back to my dance training. I had to shift in four minutes mm-hmm. and say, okay, Ben, you're the lead camera guy and you're just going to hold the camera. You walk and get out of their way. And I had to get rid of everything else because mm-hmm. it didn't fit the environment and what I was trying to capture. And it was too intrusive. So. Right. That turned into a handheld thing, which you can see in some of the parts the kids have run into him. But I thought the scene was, you know, they're um, necessary. And you just have to adjust and figure it out. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm wondering, you, you, so you obviously are making adjustments for the children's sake. Um, what was what were your interactions with parents like? How did you get parents to come on board? Um, obviously... You know, letting your children be filmed is a very vulnerable, vulnerable thing. But um, obviously, the parents that participate in the movie feel so connected to the studio and so blessed to be a part of that organization. It it came down to trust and it came down to a lot of times I would put I would trust Ben, my camera guy, and I would say, OK, you go in there and you capture the dance, the dancers and you can. I had to make some choices in regards to, okay, in the beginning, I was following 11 kids because you don't know which arc story is going to work. So you're Mm -hmm. following them all. And that I would trust him to go in there and capture that. And I would sit out in the lobby and talk to the parents and like Liam, Mm -hmm. the boy, I just fell in love with him. And I talked to his parents and I said, you know, this is your story. I'm just Mm -hmm. the messenger, I guess, or the vessel. Mm -hmm. And I said, Mm -hmm. I want the world to learn how you live your life. How is it? What are there any differences between yours and mine? What, you know, what do you want the world to know about raising a child with autism or, you know, Dakota with cerebral palsy? What, what, you know, what is that like? I'm want you to tell me Mm -hmm. so that I can be educated and I can learn and my goal is was to hopefully other people would do that. And they liked that. They liked that they could sh- use their voice because so many people are misunderstood, are misrepresented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when you see that, you know, here's the perfect story. Um, it was in December and I went to Target to and I had started filming in September it was in December and I was Chris, I did my last minute Christmas shopping and I was going down the aisle and there was a girl on the floor having a tantrum and screaming and stuff. And I walked by her and I thought, I wonder if she's on the spectrum. And I just kept shopping. And then I got in my car and I started to cry because that switch in my brain had flipped. I wasn't 
I didn't say, what a rotten kid. I didn't say, what's wrong with that parent? Why aren't they handling this? I would handle it this way. I thought, oh, I wonder if she's on the spectrum. And that was because I had been in that environment Mm -hmm. for four months every weekend. And Mm -hmm. I was now educated. I now had a reference point. And it, it, I just started to cry because I thought, now this is what I need my movie to do. I want someone to walk away thinking the exact same thing that I just did. Mm-hmm. Right. So. I and I even just when we were preparing for this interview, it was so clear to us that you wanted to be very um, diligent in the way that you represented these children. So, and we of course we know you did that in the film as well. So. I just wonder how you how you did that. Like, of course, you're letting them tell the story, but it's clearly very important to you that you represent their stories as authentically as possible. I I went once I made the decision that this was the story. I called Morgan and I said, are, are there any pointers? What what do I do now? I mean, I'm going to start filming them and I'm just like, so I, I just, do you have guidelines? Is there, you know, is there an outline? Do you have a spreadsheet you can send me? What are, you know, and he's <laughs> right. like, no, dude, it's your story, dude, tell it. <laughs> and I was like, well, thank you. <laughs> that was very helpful. Um, but I, he said it, your movie's, theme is gonna change constantly and he said just be open to that and Mm -hmm. again i still think that goes back to the training that you and i that we the three of us have had right you walk out and it changes every day you know Mm -hmm. um and when you accept that you when you 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 go in with what you want to capture but you're open to what's going to happen it it kind of makes your life easier because you can't get mad at yourself and go, oh, darn it, I didn't get da 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 da. Well, that doesn't matter because you got you didn't get A, but you got B and C. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, there were times when there were kids that I interviewed and their parents who were the kids were great in class, but on a one on one interview, mm-hmm. they would give one word answers. And I thought, well, that's not going to translate. That's not going to get a message across to you, the audience. But I still followed 11 or 12 kids. But then I had to go back to the trust thing and trust my editor because I now had fallen in love with these kids. Mm -hmm. And I said, and he had never met them. Here was just the editor and I gave him footage. And I said, you're the one who's been nominated for Emmys. So here's what we're going to do. You tell me what stories have the arc and get the message across because I'm in love with all of them and there's no way I can pick. Mm -hmm. Right. So then I, a whole new set of eyes came on and I was able to step back. I, you know, they live, they still live in my heart, but they were all in my heart that I don't know if I could, I could have picked it. So then he narrowed it down to I think seven or eight and then we whittled it down from there Mm -hmm. so once the final product came together uh what were some of the initial reactions like what have audience reactions been like for you well we we got slammed with covid 
So I had to make a decision then because we were going to release it and COVID came. And I then had to make another decision and trust myself after you make that decision is I didn't want to release it. You know, Netflix was around and I think maybe Apple, you know, uh, but not every network had a platform, you know, mm-hmm. you know, Peacock, and, that, and then everybody started doing it because people right. weren't leaving their house right. and I made the decision not to release it. So we held it for a year because I thought I based it again on like my mom and dad who I had Netflix and they would call me and go, darn it. Like we can't figure out Netflix. And I, <laughs> so I'd have to right. talk them through it for the mm-hmm. time of how to find it. And I thought there's my audience is going to be like that. And then there's going to be all these other platforms just popping up, popping up and my movie would just fall to the wayside. There was just so much at that time too, oh, you know? Yeah. And we yeah. were being bombarded. We were mm-hmm. all learning how to do it. We, you mm-hmm. know, do you sign up for this and that? And I thought I'm not, this, these stories are too important. Really smart. So yeah. we waited a year and then some of the film festivals were considering doing live festivals again. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. applied to Santa Barbara International Film Festival, which is, if you know anything about film festivals, it is one of the huge ones. And because it's so close to Hollywood, a lot of uh, celebrities get involved. And we were accepted to that. So that was the launching point, and it was great because it was close enough where the kids got to go and watch themselves, the kids and the families. Aww. So again, it it everything falls into place if you just let it. Mm-hmm. And for the kids and the parents to see themselves up on screen at a film festival and then a standing ovation at the end, you're Aww. just, I mean, <laughs> um, um, Ailey, who's got the little Afro puff, who plays yeah, the... Yeah keyboarded just a, a doll. I'm still friends with her and her mom. Love those two. And she's like, mommy, your head is so big. <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> it was on the big, big screen. So yeah. cool. And she thought, and she was able to separate the two. And she's like, look, there's Allie the dancer. And, you know, when you see the reactions like that from the audience and the kids being able to witness it also just Mm. that was the bow that just made it all yeah we really hope all of our listeners will you know watch this beautiful film it's so so wonderful how can they watch it because we really encourage them to do so you know what i just got an email from and because july is disability pride month and Amazon Prime. If you are an Amazon Prime subscriber, I got the film on the freebie list. It's F-R-E-E-V-E-E. Be- in honor of uh, Disability Pride Month, it is now free on Amazon Prime if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber. But you can also see it on Google Play, Apple TV, uh, and uh, Vimeo. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for sharing us your journey and for your beautiful film. We hope all of our listeners go check it out immediately. And um, just thanks so much for giving us your time, Dan. Oh, thank you for for having me on. Thank you. Conversations on Dance is part of the ACAST Creator Network. For more information, visit conversationsondancepodpod.com.